Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcast blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And remember, while there are no commercials in these episodes, you can always support the show by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade or by doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. Today's episode is from Pawn to Personal Sovereignty. It was originally episode 985 and was published first on September 25th, 2012. So let's talk about what led up to this today. So uh, ironically, on the post I did about the aquaponics class, and if you if you think you're going to have any trouble finding that post, don't worry, I'll put a link in today's show notes for you. Uh, somebody showed up, and instead of posting in the show notes for the show I did yesterday, they posted on the aquaponics thing, and I said, you know, I'm not going to delete it or move it on you, and I responded to it, and then said, if you want to do any more, please put it where it belongs, because it doesn't belong on the thread about aquaponics. It's not fair to Rob and Tanya that you're doing this here. So, um, But it was ironic what the post was, and it was about the fact that I keep telling you guys that they're playing checkers, we're playing checkers while they play chess, And that seems to bother him because I think it's a game. I don't think it's a game. The people in control think it's a game, by the way. Uh, and my rant yesterday about all these no new taxes that Barack Obama promised us he wouldn't be raising our taxes and how much he raised our taxes. He left a, a, a post. I'm going to leave a response. And I'm not beating up on this guy because I'm telling you he's a pawn, like most Americans. And most Americans are pawns because they don't know they're pawns. It's the very definition of being a pawn. A pawn doesn't know he's a pawn. Um, so... I used to think like this guy did, only I was on the other side of the dichotomy. He's on the left side of the dichotomy, the political dichotomy. I used to be on the right side of the political dichotomy. I used to believe this bullshit, too. I remember sitting so on the edge of my seat in the election between George Bush and Al Gore and just going, we can't keep doing this. We can't. We've got to have a new guy. We can't have, you know, Clinton 2.0. I can't believe this is even this close. What's wrong with people? And then... Four years later, I remember still sort of, sort of believing, sort of believing it was important. And then I remember by the time that McCain ran against Obama going, I don't care. I really don't. By then, I had already run for political office in Texas as a libertarian and uh, lost, but got a pretty good segment of the vote. So just in that period, we're talking about eight years for someone like me to realize the dichotomy. And really, you know, I was politically active in the 90s as well, and I remember really thinking when Clinton got elected the first time, well, this won't last, and thinking that mattered, and on and on and on. So I, I remember thinking this way. So I want you to understand that I'm not calling this guy an idiot or putting him down when I say he's a pawn. I'm about to tell you that many of us are still pawns. And there's only one way to get out of being a pawn. We'll get to that in a minute. But let me read you his comment. And again, I'm not beating him up. I'm just telling you what he said. On an earlier post, I spoke of the 47% and Romney increasing taxes. My argument is not whether taxes go up because to fix the debt issue, let's all be honest. If we're going to pay it down, the money has to come from somewhere. My argument is with the net sum of Romney's plan, a plan that leaves the middle class holding the bag. Obama's plan, on the other hand, supports the middle class. I'm going to pause there for a second just to get the mental lock that's here. I just laid out yesterday, and this is what he's responding to, an entire list of taxes that go up for everybody, including a 33% increase 
on the taxes paid by the poorest people. See, the lowest tax bracket was at 10%. It goes up to 15%. You see that as 5% increase. It's not. 5% is 33% of 10. It's a one-third increase in the taxes that they pay. They're going to pay a third more. The lowest rung just went up a third, and he says Obama's plan, on the other hand, supports the middle class by increasing their tax burden by 33%. I'm going to go back to his... I'm not beating him up. I'm just pointing out a fact. Let's keep going. I hear people talk of chess and checkers as if they understand the game. You don't. This is real life, not a game. You don't sacrifice people to get ahead if they are pawns or just pieces on a game board. The president must be the president for all the people. The 100%. To preserve the union, as in family. The president, head, must decide where sacrifices must be made in a lean time. An an example, it is not uncommon for those with higher incomes to pay more in an economic time, just as it's not uncommon for certain members of the public to carry the load in war. Let's be adults now. We all know the politics involved. They say what they need to say to get elected, but the difference is not in what they say, it is in what they do. And if you trust, they will do their best and reflect your values. So what he's saying is they're all full of shit when they promise us things, right? But we need to trust they'll do their best when they get elected. I mean, this is deep programming. Let me read you my response, okay? Ray, if you want to discuss this further, do so in the actual post about the episode, not in this post about an aquaponics class. I will respond, though, and if you want to continue again, take it to the right thread. One, if you tax everyone at 70%, we are not going to be able to pay off the debt. There is no plan by anyone to pay off or even down the debt. None. If you think there is, show me exactly where the debt went down for even a day in the last 40 years. You can't. Two, you are classically dedicated to the false dichotomy. I tell you Obama lied, and I prove it, and you want to say, well, Romney, dot, 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 dot. If you think either of these two ass clowns have a substantive differences, you are delusional. Three, if you think your government, including the president, doesn't sacrifice people like pawns and handle things like they're a game, you are also delusional. You live in a fascist state. And by the very definition of fascist economics, fascist economics require people to be used as pawns. It's in the definition of the term. Here is the definition of fascist economics. I just told you we live in a fascist country. Some of you have a real problem with that. I want you to do me a favor. Please listen to me right now. Please do me a favor right now. If you're doing something where you can't pay attention to what I'm about to say, pause it and listen later. If you can, give me 60 seconds to read you the definition of fascist economics. Forget about people with swastikas. Forget about concentration camps. Just listen to the words with a completely, totally open mind. If you have a hard time with it, do it anyway. It's only 60 seconds. Deal. Let's go. Fascists oppose both international socialism and liberal capitalism, arguing that their view represents a third way. They claim to provide realistic economic alternative that is neither laissez-faire capitalism nor communism. Fascists favor corporatism and class collaboration, believing that the existence of inequality and separate social classes is beneficial and argue that the state has a role in mediating relations between these classes. 
That's the definition of fascism, folks. I'm not reading from the thing now. That's the definition. I got it from Wikipedia. It's not my definition. A belief that the existence of inequality and separate social classes is beneficial and argue that the state has a role in mediating relations between the classes. That means manipulation. That means playing a game. That means sacrificing one group to the benefit of another. That's what it means. Folks, that's your nation today. A, a, a fascist economy is where corporate, the corporatocracy and the state works together. Let me continue with my, my response here, and then we'll get into this deeper. Now, that is a perfect description of how economics work in the nation today, where the existence of inequality in separate social classes is beneficial and is manipulated by government and the corporatocracy. Your blind faith, with no basis that we can ever pay down a $16 trillion debt, with a president who spent more money in four years than any other president ever spent in eight, is proof that you yourself are being used as a pawn by the system. Your belief that if we tax the wealthy, we can pay down the debt that can't be paid ever is proof that you yourself are a pawn. You parroting the president when he says the president must be the president of all the people shows you are a pawn of the system. You parrot a president saying that when the same president that basically told anyone who disagreed with the stimulus to just shut up because, quote, their opinions were not required, end quote. That's Obama's quote. Your opinions are not required, and that was given in the first State of the Union speech he gave after taking office. See, the key is if you want people to be pawns, they can't know they're pawns. And I ask him, if you want to discuss it further, go to the right thread. So that's my response. So I'm not beating up on the man. I'm beating up on the idea. Okay? There's a lot going on there. Let's take a little bit of a look at it, and then let's dig into this whole thing and realize how it affects you and me too. Um, first of all, The, the, the fact that you would ever think that saying something like we could just tax people that can afford more and fix a debt when that's $16 trillion. And as I told you yesterday, at $1 a second, that's 507,000 years is ridiculous. If you taxed everybody in this nation at 70% and they actually managed to survive that way and you didn't kill the economy, which they wouldn't survive and you would kill the economy. But if you did, 70% taxes across the board for everybody from the poorest to the wealthiest, it wouldn't make a mouse fart of a dent in the debt. Right now to believe that we're ever going to pay this debt is just blind faith to something that's not possible. It's mathematically impossible. Can't be done. So if you buy into it, from and here's the important thing. From either side. So if you think Romney's plan will fix the debt, you're just as delusional as this person here. And here's the interesting thing. The person on the Obama fence, on the side of the fence, will look at the Romney claims and go, that's, that's just ridiculous. That, that, that can't possibly work. They're right. But the, but the person over in the Romney camp will go, yeah, Ken, Paul Ryan's the guy. He'll fix it. No, he won't. Not because Paul Ryan's a bad guy in and of himself. Because it mathematically doesn't work. You're asking a guy to fill a lunar crater in with a teaspoon from the Earth. By the way, lunar craters are on the moon if you don't know that. So you're asking a man standing on planet Earth to use a teaspoon to fill in a crater on the moon when you ask somebody to pay off his debt. It's impossible. It won't work. Math says so. But then the person on the, in the Romney camp can look over at the person in the Obama camp and go, well, that can't work. You're right, but 
Both of you blindly believe the other side has a solution. This is the very definition of being a, a, a pawn. Most people, if you ask them, what type of economy do we have in this country? They'll tell you capitalist. Some people that are a little bit awake will say socialist. Most people that are educated would say we have a capitalist central economy with a socialist component to it. Do we have a mixture of capitalism and socialism in the United States that effectively works as a safety net? But they're all wrong. We have a fascist economy. A fascist economy with one change from a classic fascist economy. In classical fascism, Italy, Germany, again, no stormtroopers, no Gestapo, no concentration camps, just economics here. It, it's so hard for people to, to let go of what they're married to. You got to just look at the economic component. In that state, these nations and other nations that were openly fascist, the state told the corporations how to conduct themselves. The state maintained control, but the corporations and the states worked together to leverage the differences between the classes, that's class warfare, for those that are more familiar with the general term, to the benefit of both the corporation and the state. The only thing that's happened is the state's hand has gone underneath the corporation's hand. So put your, put your left hand out like you're waiting for somebody to hand you something, right? Palm up, and put your right hand over top of it, palm down, like you're doing a Tai Chi pose, like you're handing yourself something from above. Right, and your right hand is the state, and the lower hand is the corporatocracy. Okay, now just flip them. That's all that we did. In fact, the entire time that we were fighting fascism, that's what we were building under FDR in the United States, and that's what we had already started building under people like Woodrow Wilson. This, this is so. There's another thing that people cling to. We can't be fascists, right? And we've taken the word and so vilified it with Nazism. That we just throw the word away. We don't even look at it. So we've actually, and this is a tenant of Orwell's 1984, removing words from your vocabulary, right? Just making certain words illegal. Anybody, if you've never read 1984, at least watch the movie. Go do it. It's such a foretelling of what we're in right now. But that was one of the components of 1984, just certain words. And there was a book. These are the words you can use. This is the new dictionary. If you use the word snot in this dictionary, it's punishable. Right, so that's that's a little bit sci-fi. That's a little bit too hard to implement. But what you can do is vilify a word so that it won't even be used, or when it's used, its meaning is twisted, like sovereign citizen. Right? So we have these wackos. That's why I almost didn't call this personal sovereignty today. We have these wackos that have ruined the term sovereign citizen. What sovereign citizen means is a citizen is sovereign and grants power to the county, the city, the state, and the federal government. But the sovereignty lies in the individual. The individual, through the democratic process, determines which responsibilities and rights are given over to the state or states, and holds the sovereignty and is capable of making change. Well, these wackos have twisted that word, And then people like the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center and all these other ass clowns have jumped on board and vilified it even further to where a guy like me questions even using the word. And then I realize that's being a pawn. And I'll say, damn it, I'll use the word. Got it? Well, that's fascism, folks. That's what they've done to the word. They've so ingrained you with the Holocaust. 
which was a terrible atrocity. I'm not me, I'm not putting it, you know, lightly in any way. In fact, I don't think we even get it enough. I don't think we really got the lesson or we wouldn't be letting some of the shit go on today that's, that's going on today. If the technology we have today existed in 1930, there wouldn't be a Jewish person on this planet. And we're letting that technology exist. We don't know who's going to end up in the end holding it. So it's not about the Holocaust not being that big a deal. It's about the fact that the Holocaust was an action of a fascist state, not a hallmark of a fascist state. Because there were no death camps. There was no cleansing in Italy, was there? You got it? So we got to look at the word for what it is. And here's the big thing that you have to do. And this is the hardest thing for most people to ever do. If you've never before admitted that you were a pawn, you have to. Or you will always be a pawn. And you will spend your time fighting other pawns for the robes of a bishop or the horse of a knight. Or the castle of a rook. And even if you obtain the horse, the robes, and the castle, guess what you will still be? You will still really be a pawn. Because the people playing this game of chess don't give a shit if they lose a pawn or a rook or a knight. Because the chessboard is the entire nation. In fact, it's the entire world. And just the sub-game they're playing with you and your children is over 300 million chess pieces. And the two guys playing the game are actually a bunch of people playing the game. But the best way to understand the metaphor is think of it as two people playing the game. And imagine if you were playing chess, and whenever you sacrificed a pawn, and your opponent took the pawn... He made a profit. Okay? But imagine so do you. Got it? How much more willing are you to sacrifice a pawn if every time you sacrifice a pawn, you get a $100 bill? Not at the expense of your opponent, at the expense of the pawn. And then the winner, who you sacrifice the pawn to, gets $200. And unlike chess, where the pawn goes away and never comes back to the board, the pawn goes through a recycling and eventually ends up back on the board, it can be sacrificed again. And when you sacrifice your knight, when you sacrifice your rook, when you, when you sacrifice your bishop, you get more money, both as the sacrifice E and the sacrifice er. And it always comes at the expense of the piece on the playing board. That is where you live. And if you don't think that is where you live, you will continue to live that way for the rest of your life. There's been so many movies made about this. This is The Matrix. It's the same thing. We're being used as a battery. It made interesting science fiction, but do you think that's the statement that was really being tried to be made by the person who wrote it? That it was just sci-fi fantasy that computers would use this as a battery? Or is it a bigger statement that we're all considered units of energy to be harnessed, to have that energy extracted from us, to be recharged until we won't work anymore, and then to be discarded in a landfill, just like a battery? There's your game. And I know it sucks. I know it sucks to admit. And what you have, here's why it's so hard. It's actually not that hard just to admit it. It's hard because then you have to look back, and this is why the older you are, the harder this will be to accept, at all the decisions you've made, everything you've done. Me, an animate supporter of George W. Bush the first time around, have to look back and go, I wasted my time. I wasted my energy, and everything that I thought was true was wrong. I was 100% wrong to believe that it really made a difference. That's hard. That's hard. But it's like being an alcoholic or being a drug addict. If you had a, a, fr a friend or a, a family member that you dearly loved and dearly cared about, and they were a drug addict, 
I mean, they're not a social drug user. You know they're an addict. They wake up using drugs. They go to sleep using drugs. They're an addict. It's affecting their lives. They're a classical addict. There's no case to be made that they're not an addict. And they say to you, well, I have a, I know I have kind of a problem, but I'm not an addict and I'll just kind of, you know, quit or give up whenever, you know, or maybe I'll just kind of cut back or, you know, it's not really that bad or anything like that. You, you, you know that inside you're crying for them if you love them because you know there's no way they're going to heal. There's no way they're going to recover. They can't do it. The first thing you'll have to do to go from addict to recovering addict toward a journey of lifetime of healing is say what? I'm Joe and I'm a drug addict. And until Joe can say he's a drug addict, Joe will be a drug addict. He won't quit. He can't quit. You have to accept what you are if you ever are going to cease being that. So, as hard as it might be, if you've never said before to yourself, I am a pawn in the system, say it now. And I'm dead serious. And if you're somewhere where like people are going to look at you and lock you up, say it in your head. It's just as good. I'm a pawn in the system. And then the most important thing to say after that, I don't have to be anymore. That's a very powerful, powerful thing for people to do. It really is. It doesn't mean that the, the, the game board goes away or the chess masters quit playing the game. It doesn't mean that your life gets easy. It just means that you look around you and you see everything for what it really is. And you start to realize that looking out after yourself, your family, your community, and those around you is more important than any of the games and distractions that they can use to try to keep you doing their bidding. And your freedom, just like the addict, doesn't come immediately. When the addict can say, I'm an addict and I don't have to be anymore, it is the first step toward healing. But in some ways, that person will be, and this is what medical science tells us, is a recovering addict for the rest of their lives. You'll talk to recovering alcoholics. How long has it been since you had a drink? Now, social drinking is even considered acceptable, but not for the addict, right? Because they can't handle it. They've proven they can't handle it. So that, that, that recovering alcoholic might say, 25 years. And you go, are you even tempted anymore? And they might go, you know, at this point, 25 years, not really. And I think most people after 25 years, unless something, an event happens that pushes them, they probably aren't. But you say, are you, so you're not an alcoholic anymore? And most of them that have healed properly will say, no, I'll be a recovering alcoholic till the day that I die. The drug addict will say, I'm a recovering addict for the rest of my life because he knows. He knows that the average person could probably go out and burn a doobie and then go to work tomorrow and not even think about it for a month and then maybe do it again and then maybe not do it for a year. But he knows that one experience by him may reconnect him with what was wrong and broken in him and lead him right back into a life of, life of captivity. So when you, when you say to yourself, I am a pawn in the system, and I no longer have to be, in some ways, you have to live with kind of an emboldened spirit, stronger emboldened spirit than the recovering addict. But a little piece of you has to know that I always have to fight the temptation, because it's easier to be a pawn than a sovereign person. It's easier to be owned than to own yourself. It's much easier. It comes with much less responsibility. It comes with much less obligation. But it comes with chains. To be a sovereign individual, to own yourself, is to be no one's pet. To be anything else is to be a pet of the state. They'll take care of you. They'll give you your vaccinations. They'll worm you when you're sick. 
They'll make sure if you can't find some, you know, if you're a, a barn cat and you've cleaned out all the mice and there's no more mice to eat, well, they'll feed you some nine lives. Food stamps. Come on. Get it. The whole world is a giant metaphor. There's nothing new. Everything's the same. It always has been. There's nothing in the world but patterns. Everything's a pattern. A pattern implemented through space and time. I know I'm going a little high-end here, but this is permaculture stuff. You start seeing patterns, you see patterns everywhere. I'm looking at the pattern in the microphone right now, and I'm seeing the weaving pattern used to make a shirt. Because it's all the same. As soon as you accept that, then you start to be able to look around you and go, oh, that is just like that. And then you go, well, if that's like that, then that thing over there ain't what they say it is. And you start to obtain freedom. And the first big step is, we talked about this already somewhat today, but you have to let go of all dogmatic, dogmatic beliefs when they're proven false. So I know you want to believe certain things, and I won't go into what, because you're going to struggle with them. And if I push what you're struggling with, you'll cling to it even harder. So I'm not going to bring up the examples. You already know what they are. But there's things you so believe in, you'll so cling to, and in your heart of hearts you know, you know it's not true. You know it doesn't matter. Or you know it certainly doesn't matter as much as you've been led to believe and you've led yourself to believe. And when you know it in your heart, if you want to be free, if you don't want to be a pawn, you have to let it go. Because it's the way they move you around the board. They use your beliefs, and this is why they don't care what you believe. As long as you cling to a false belief, it can be a left or a right cling, it doesn't matter, they can still move you to the next place they want you to go on the board. And as long as they can move you, they can use you. And as long as they use you, they harness you. And as long as they harness and sacrifice you, they profit from your efforts. And here's the thing, the system is so well put together, even as a free person, Even as someone that practices self-ownership, they're still going to take from you. And you're still going to have to give certain things. Unlike most people, though, maybe you'll be aware of it. And that means you can mitigate it. That means you can take actions to minimize it. That means that there's certain places you can simply extract your energy and effort where they do nothing for you and apply them to places where they do something for you. So instead of fighting the other pieces on the board, you can start to sort of play the game, too. Instead of being moved into a hex, you can choose which hex to go to. You can choose to stay put. These are the things that happen when you start to let go of false dogmatic belief. And I won't give you examples again, but I want you to think about them for yourself. And I want you to learn something from what I'm doing there. Many of you are having conversations very similar to this with friends and family. And you'll get to this point. And they'll say, yeah, it has to be. Don't push. If you push someone clinging to a belief, they'll tighten their grip. Can't push them. You lead by example. I'm going to break away here and tell a quick story. I don't remember where I heard this story, but it's always stuck with me. I think it was from a pastor, honestly. In a land, there was uh, shepherds. And uh, there were shepherds on both sides of, uh, of the national border. The two countries were friendly with each other, but they kept the, their herds to each side. And there were princes that tended their sheep. And the king would teach his sons how to tend the sheep. This was a long time ago, I guess, you know. And uh, one day the prince says to his father, the king, 
He says, Father, I don't understand why our sheep are so much better than the sheep of our neighbors. Their wool is better. Their meat tastes better. They have more, more, uh, more children. They're more productive. They live longer. They're healthier. In every way that you can measure them, they're a better quality animal. And the father says, and what confuses you? He says that, well, we're so close. Their fields are just as green as ours. They have the same climate. They have just as much water. They have just as much pasture. Why are their sheep not as high quality as ours? What is our secret? And he said, as I've taught you and as you've seen the other shepherds, we lead our sheep from in front. We walk to the pasture and they follow us. If you watch them, they drive their sheep from behind. And they will never be as good as ours because ours follow and those are driven. We lead and they push. And I know there's an irony there with sheep and sheeple. Let it go, right? Connections are good until they cause you to lose the point. If you want someone to take your ideas and believe them, if you want them to let go of a false belief system, you demonstrate the positive things that happen when you do that. You don't push them. If there was gold on top of a mountain and you came down with a couple handfuls of gold, you told your friend, hey, there's gold up there. There's a lot of people grabbing it. Let's go get some. And he said, I, I don't know. It could be a scam, right? And you're sitting there holding two bricks of gold. Well, you're going to go put them somewhere safe. And you're going to run back up the mountain and come back down with two more and go, dude, okay, fine. I'm gonna, and you're going to keep doing that until there's no more left. You're not going to, you're not going to be slowed down by trying to shove them up the hill, are you? Or tie a rope on them and try to drag them up there with you. Or, or when you come down because you only carry two because they're heavy, say, okay, well, you won't go. Here's one for you, even though you won't do it for yourself. Here's a dude, you got to go. You don't want to go? Fine, bye. Right? This is how you win in the marketplace of ideas. You win by demonstrating them. And it's how our nation was founded. Our nation was founded to be a shining example of what a republic could be. Just because we haven't lived up to it doesn't mean the blueprint wasn't laid down for us by our founders. Many of whom even disagreed with each other about how to do it, but they agreed on the common principles. The principles that have been bastardized by a fascist state that has risen with a cooperation between the banking cartels, the mega corporations, and your government. With the banks and the corporations owning the government. If you want to look at a classic example of this, again, please look up the 10 largest donors to both presidential candidates. The 10 biggest donors. Look it up for yourself. And just ask yourself. I'm not going to tell you what it means. Ask yourself what it means when two people supposedly so opposed to each other are running for the highest office in the land, arguably the most powerful position in government that exists in the world for now. And the same 10 institutions are financing them equally. Better ask yourself what that means if you want to be a sovereign citizen, if you want to have personal sovereignty, if you want self-ownership. Now, I guess at this point we should actually talk about what is personal sovereignty. What, what does it mean to be sovereign over yourself? It basically means self-ownership, to own yourself. And this is why nobody, nobody on any political paradigm anywhere except a pure communist, right, Maybe an uber-socialist, possibly a, 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 an insane statist, 
only those groups should have a problem with the concept of saying, I own myself. If I don't own myself, who does? Society? The state? A master? Isn't that called slavery? How could anybody object to self-ownership? But it's bigger than that. Self-ownership comes with a whole laundry list of responsibilities. If you're a little kid and you want a dog, right, and you have an enlightened parent, they're going to say, okay, Tom, or Tommy, right, you're little, you're Tommy. Okay, Tommy, here's the deal. If we get you a dog, you're going to walk it, you're going to feed it, have saved some of your allowance so when it goes to the vet, you can at least pay some of the bills, have to help and, uh, pay for the food. You're going to be responsible for the dog if it's going to be your dog. You want it to be your dog, or do you want it to be the family dog, or do you want it to be my dog that you had to pet? And most little kids, especially little boys, man, seem to want a dog. I want it to be my dog. I remember one time, my son, you know, when they're little, it's easy to kind of leverage them when they're just being a brat. And I said, you know what? You don't want to take care of the dog. He's not yours anymore. He's mine. From now on, he's my dog. He flipped out bald. Right? I'll take him. I'll take him. No, don't take him away. Now, what am I going to do with him? You're going to like build a, a separate cage where the dog stays and the kid can't go? I mean, the dog's still going to be in the house, right? It, it's just a it, it, funny story outside there. But there's a responsibility that comes with owning that dog. So it stands to reason that something as trivial as owning a dog or a cat or a bird or a snake or a lizard comes with responsibilities to feed and care for it. Then self-ownership comes with a responsibility to feed and care for yourself. Not most of the time, all the time. It comes with so many more responsibilities and obligations than would ever be of a person who doesn't practice self-ownership. If I own myself and I fail, my failure is my own. Sure, somebody cheated. It doesn't matter. That was, I didn't see it coming. I didn't adjust. There was no way. It doesn't matter. It's still my failure. And it's my failure. It's up to me to fix it not how things got practiced during the bailouts and the stimulus now, is it? And everybody, instead of people saying, think about this, instead of people saying, you know what? This shouldn't happen at all. The bigger argument, the louder voice was what? Well, what did, what did the people get? What did we get? They got this and we got nothing. Right? That's, that's being moved on the chessboard. It's not that you're wrong, it's that you're playing into the game. You're being manipulated and controlled. You're being prevented from asking the bigger question, why aren't they responsible for themselves? Let them be responsible for themselves. And what the answer was when people asked that question is because it'll hurt you. And not enough people were willing to stand up and say, so what? We'll take our medicine. We're part of the collective that made this mess. We're responsible for fixing it. That's what a person who practices personal sovereignty has to do in that situation. It's like the matrix again. You ate the, the whichever color pill wakes you up. I know it's the blue pill or the red pill. Then you ate the red pill. You're awake now. You can't go back into the matrix. It won't work. You won't accept it. You have to be responsible for yourself. You also have to be responsible for others. If you truly own yourself, you truly respect yourself, and your fellow man is hurting, and you can do something to help, you have an obligation within yourself to do something to help. And here's the key. 
No one is going to tell you when, how much, who to help, or exactly how to help them. You have to decide. There's no bureaucrat that can say, since I've taken 20% of your income and I'm redistributing your wealth, your obligation is fulfilled. Even if you haven't been able to escape that system, whatever you have left is yours and being self-doned. When you see someone you can help, there's still a moral obligation there to help them. And there's the reality. Can't help everybody. And some people aren't worthy of help. And some people aren't in the right frame of mind to be helped yet. Let's go back to your friend or family member that you dearly love that's an addict. Because of their addictive behavior, they're also going bankrupt. They say, I need money, and if I don't get some money by Tuesday, I'm going to get thrown out of my house. You have money. You could fix it. Should you? I don't know. Depends. Do you think he's just going to take the money and get drugs and then still get thrown out of the house? If he's that big of an addict, probably. Do you think keeping him in the house will further his addiction? Or do you say, I'll save your house if you'll go to rehab? And if he says no, then do you have to stand behind your statement and go, when you're ready to go to rehab, come see me and I'll help you? Very hard. There's no state to tell you what to do. There's no mommy or daddy to tell you what to do. You have to do what's right based on your own moral integrity and your own moral compass with your own limitations understood. It's nice to say we should help people that need it, But if you went out and tried to help every person that needed it, you would run out of time, money, and resources before you helped everybody that you could find. And you have to look after yourself. So there's a point where you say, I can't do anymore. Because if I don't take care of me, I can't continue to help others. But these are things that we don't teach children in school anymore. We don't have these, these values as a nation anymore. We don't talk this way anymore. You don't even hear it much in churches anymore. Tithe, that's what you hear. We'll look after it for you. Oh, And I don't want to put any of that because I know there's great churches where somebody gets sick and everybody, and that's the individual behavior and that's what I'm talking about. But you shouldn't be told that that's what you need to do. When you look at it, you go, this is a place where I can help in this way and that's what I'm going to do. And that responsibility becomes much more magnified. When you stand up and say, I own myself, because now you can't pass the buck anymore. There's a lot of responsibility that goes along with that. Another responsibility is understanding that when you're, when you're the person that needs help, that any per help that you get should be voluntary. You should take help from people that want to help you, not people that are forced to help you. I'm dead serious about that. If you want true sovereignty. And somebody's going to write me and go, but right now, you know, I got laid off and my family's on, on, on food stamps and that's the only way I can keep food on the table and, and, and you're telling me I shouldn't do that? Uh, not necessarily. And I'll tell you why. Because that money's going to be spent whether you take it or not. I know I sound like I'm contradicting myself. I'm not. I'll, I'll explain it in a second. But the reality is they're going to spend, they're actually advertising, hey, did you know you might qualify for food stamps? They're pissing this money away anyway. And, and the way I look at it is most of these people, if you lost a job, you worked, you paid in. You, you contributed to the system. My bigger problem is with people who have never contributed to the system ever and continue to draw from it. But even that is just being moved around the chessboard. That's just class warfare. That's a system was set up so that some people could exist that way. The system is the problem, not the person. Now, I know I said you shouldn't take things that are forced to be given to you, but In that situation where your children will go hungry without it, I understand. But what should you be doing concurrently with it? Working for anything in any way possible, any way 
no matter how demeaning you think it is, well, you can earn your own way. If you have to deliver pizzas seven nights a week, I don't care. Go do it. Well, then I'll lose my assistance. Yes, and then you'll have the money that's greater than or equal to your assistance. So go do it. Go do whatever it takes to put food on the table and keep a roof over the head of your family, or you are a freaking pawn. You are a pawn. You are a pawn. You are a pawn. If you can't find something and you're busting your ass to do it and you're trying to do it and as soon as you do it, can do it, you will do it, you are not a pawn. If you are born with some level of, of inadequacy where you can't function, right? You're, you're so physically crippled that you need the care of others. You are not a pawn. You are someone in need of help and somebody will probably give it to you. But if you are able-bodied and able-minded and you are not out there busting your ass every single day to pay your own way, you are a pawn. And if you are someone out there busting your ass every single day to pay your own way, and you're always worried about the person like that that's not doing it, you are also a pawn. You are also a pawn. I'm not telling you about these people to vilify them. I'm telling you about them because if it's you, I want you to self-identify. And if you're the person that vilifies them, I want you to self-identify and stop fighting each other. Stop being two pawns, kicking each other's ass, and looking for the opportunity to knock the knight off his horse so you can have a horse. Because you're still a pawn. You're just a pawn with a horse. And if one day you take out a rook and you ride your horse into the castle, you're a pawn with a castle and a horse. And if you get the robes of a bishop, you're a pawn with nice robes, a castle and a horse. You're still a pawn. The people playing the game will still sacrifice you. They'll still profit from you. They'll still use you. Unless you know they're doing it. When you know they're doing it, then you can do something about it. So how do we break the chains? What do we do to stop being a pawn? Beyond saying, I, I am a pawn and I don't have to be anymore. Well, one, we do everything I just said. We start taking responsibility for ourselves. That's a massive thing. And we start to ask ourselves, what can I do to deleverage myself from the system? See, the problem that we have, what keeps us moving from place to place is debt, false obligations, false beliefs. These are, these are the three evils. False beliefs are one of the biggest. How much time and energy are people spending right now to keeping Barack Obama in office or getting rid of him? And when you have President Romney, if we do, or President Obama next year, we're still going to have an economic catastrophe within a couple of years. It's going to be the same catastrophe no matter which guy's in charge. In fact, if you like one of them, you should be voting for the other guy because the one holding the bag is going to get the blame. Whoever wins this election is going to get blamed with the results of what the Federal Reserve's doing right now. Period. That's just the way it's going to be. That's, you know, you can only blame the other guy for so long. You gotta stop that now, don't we? I mean, if, uh, if we have any sense of reality at all, we do. So we gotta get rid of these false beliefs that, that tie up our energy. What if the energy being used to do these things, whether it's political or whether it's, it's, you know, corporate dogfights trying to get to the top of the corporate ladder, what if these energies were being used to enrich our families and educate our children at home? about reality. What if these energies were being used to grow our own food? What if these energies were being used to learn how to build better housing and build our own housing and actually own it? What if these energies were being used to build strong, resilient communities that would tell the government, we don't want your deal, go away? What if these energies were being used to further the ideals of self-reliance and self-sufficiency in a country that was actually built on self-reliance and self-sufficiency? 
We, we've gone from being the, the example. This nation was the example. If you were anywhere in the world and you said, where is the most self-sufficient, self-reliant people in the world? They would have said, America. And that's why people came here. Now we are one of the most dependent societies that's ever existed. The reason people are so afraid, the reason people live in so much fear of what's to come is not because of what's coming. It's because we know how dependent we are. It's the argument people always make. When you tell them it will continue, we will survive, there will be a new system, we will adapt, we will improvise, we'll overcome, they'll say, but it's different because this time we're so dependent. Then break the freaking dependence, dummy! Don't you get it? Don't you get it? If that's the problem, that's what you must fix. Look at your life. Look at your family. You're worth it. They're worth it. Damn it. Do it. This is not a joke. It's not a game to you. I understand when somebody says it's not a game. It's not a game for us. But it is a game for the people in charge. And if you don't see the game for what it is, you're nothing but not just a pawn. You're their little bitch. Stop being the government's bitch. Stop being the corporation's bitch. Stop being the plutocracy's bitch. Stop being the political think tank's bitch. Stop being the state's bitch. Stand up and be a freaking man or a woman and have common sense and respect for yourself. Believe in who you are enough to say no more. Understand there's parts of this game you'll have to play. They'll send you the tax bill. you got to pay it. But you don't have to pay every stinking penny. Get a good CPA. That's part of playing their game. And on some levels, it's all you can do. But don't play the game where 20% of your paycheck has to go to feeding yourself because you're dependent on a supermarket system. Take some piece of that back. I'm not saying never go to the grocery store again. The people need jobs. They're there to do it. It's a valid service. But take some responsibility for feeding yourself. Take some responsibility for keeping yourself warm, for clothing yourself. Take some responsibility for maintaining the things that you own. You can't be sovereign. You can't own yourself without claiming these things. And when you do need somebody else to do it for you, because it's a skill you don't have... Not everybody can be a master knife maker. So when you want a really nice knife, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to go to a knife maker and get a knife made. But know who's doing it for you. Make a fair exchange between men whenever you can. Understand the value of that. Understand the value of owning a knife you'll own for the rest of your life. Leave to your children. And it's not a knife I'm talking about. It's anything you can buy that will fill that niche. Don't buy another piece of crap that's going to last a year if you can buy something equivalent that will last a lifetime, even if it costs five times as much. Learn to make it last a lifetime. Learn to fix it. Work on your heart and your mind, your skill set, your knowledge. This is how you stop being a pawn. It doesn't matter who sits in the big chair in Washington in the grand scheme of things because the corporations already own everything. Wake up to that. That's what they're afraid of. Do you know that's the only thing they're afraid of? It's the only thing that scares them. Do you think Goldman Sachs, who was the top donor to Romney 
and Obama really gives a shit which one wins if they're giving the both of them the same amount of money? Do you think they care? You know what they care about? They care about you realizing it. That scares them. They care about the fact that 50% of the electorate will vote in a national election and like 10% or less will vote in a local election if there's not a national election going on with it. They'll take more of your liberty at the local and county level than they'll ever take at the federal level. That's where they're doing it. Have you seen the federal government put somebody in jail over a garden? You see a bunch of conspiracy theorists going, it's Agenda 21, it's the United Nations. But it's not a guy in a blue helmet. It's a freaking code official from the local city government who doesn't have a clue about that crap. He just knows, we made a law about this, and a neighbor complained that it's my job to come out here with my pocket protector and tell you you can't have that anymore. And if you if you won't comply with me, we'll throw you in the city jail for 90 days, Julie Bass. And ironically, it's the place we can have the biggest influence. Because when we got the red ass over that, and we called up that city, and we had to call them on Monday, because we were going to call them on Friday, remember? We were going to call them on Friday. We couldn't call them on Friday. The city was so broke, they could only keep the lights on four days a week. So we called them on Monday. And we called them, and people from the Blaze called them. And to be fair to Alex Jones, people from the Alex Jones so called them. And thousands and thousands and probably tens of thousands flooded their phones and said, we're paying attention, and they backed off. When the city of Salem, Oregon tried to take that that old lady that we helped out, probably more than anybody else on on the net, I think we get, as a community, TSP, we get the credit for that one. I think the family told me they took in about $40,000, and I know 30 of it came from here. And that was with the blaze behind it. We outdid them minimum three to one because they weren't the only ones. You know, that's where we can make a difference, the individual level. And when it comes to government at the local level, that's what they're afraid of. Why do you think they spend so much time and money to keep you focused on everything but that? How many people have dedicated this entire year to getting one of these two ass clowns elected and have never been to a city council meeting at their city or a town council meeting at their city? How many of these people that are so vested in this? And I'm going to ask you if you're one of them. Who's your town councilman? What's their name? Who's your state senator? Do you know? Some of you do, and that's fine. But I guarantee you, most people that are really pissed about this presidential thing, that are so focused on they don't know their state rep by name. They don't know their state senator by name. They don't know their town councilman by name. Many of them, especially in small towns, don't even know the name of their mayor. I mean, if you live in Dallas or Atlanta or New York, you know the name of your mayor because, you know, everybody knows the names of your mayor. Or at least people that watch the news do, because they're, they're national figures in big cities like that. You know, but somebody in Sheboyganville, Iowa, or whatever, probably doesn't even know the name of their mayor, and they're worried about this. It's your city, it's your county, it's your state that has the big influ- biggest influence on your daily life. And you're chasing this, and, and even that's minimal. Even that's minimal. Is someone that is a self-owner, I own myself, one of my decisions is I will move to a place where they have the least influence already, where I have to ask the least permission in the first place. That makes my life a little harder. It's hard to find a place like that in the South that I can afford with the land that I want that I can get DSL with. I need DSL for my business or cable modem. It's a sacrifice. But that's part of being a self-owner, a sacrifice. That's just one example. I'm not saying be like me. For God's sakes, don't be like me. 
be like you, whatever that is. This is the problem with that. You're not doing it. You're not being yourself. You're not making your choices if you're a pawn. Somebody's doing it for you. Do it for yourself. Don't think for one minute that these ass clowns don't view you as an expendable resource. That's all you are. You are a battery. You are to be drained and recharged and drained and recharged and drained and recharged until you won't take a charge anymore, and then you're to be discarded. Doesn't matter, though, because you already know that. If you don't know that, the human existence at this time, at this place, is one of the saddest that's ever existed. People convinced they're free that are slaves. People surrounding their jail cells with pretty decorations and believing their cells are homes. But when you wake up, you see the horror, but it doesn't matter. Nope, because then you can live like who you really are. That's what we're destined to do as individuals. That's what survivalism is. Survivalism isn't running into the mountains, and it isn't just a cupboard full of stuff on either extreme. It doesn't work that way. To say I'm a survivalist is to say I will not go down with the ship. I'll build a lifeboat. I'll bolt some doors together. I'm not going, I'm not conforming to the status quo. It's not just about when things go wrong. It's about your life every single day of your life. That's what you have to be saying. I will not just go blindly. I won't. I will chart my own path. I will go against the current. I will fight when I have to. I will comply when it makes sense. But I'll know when I'm complying. And I'll know why I'm doing it. I'll know why I believe what I believe. And I won't cling to false dogma ever again. Again, folks, if you want freedom, you have to start out with a simple statement. I am a pawn in the system. And I don't have to be anymore. It's your choice. But only by seeing the stark reality, how you are used, how you are drained, how you are seen as a resource versus a person. Only by seeing that can you take the steps for individual freedom, personal liberty, and self-ownership. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
Yeah.